Thank you. Before we get cracking in, in this section, which is a shorter section, a bit like a play after the intermission, um, I've, just, just a, I've had a, a comment made to me in the break, which is a really helpful sort of um, corrective, if you like. We're talking about rules and um, imaginative responses and so on and so forth. Of course, the heart of what we're talking about is Christian spirituality. So it's about how we orientate ourselves in terms of life and meaning uh, in the light of the life, death, resurrection of Christ. That's the focus of Christian spirituality. So whatever rules we have, whatever methods we have, whatever approaches we have, we have to remember that the most fundamental thing at the heart of Christian spirituality is the love of God. So that's a very useful brief conversation with somebody in the break which helped me orientate myself back to that as well. Whatever methods, techniques, traditions, that's what we're coming back to. We're going to move on and we're going to have a think um, about this very unusual figure called Etty Hillison. Now some of you may know about Etty Hillison and some nods and some of you may not. Now She's an extraordinary figure, and she might be quite left field, in a way, for Christian spirituality. I'll tell you a bit more about her in a minute. But her writing only started to become uh, much more public, much more widely known, uh, about 30 years ago. And then it wasn't until about 17 or 18 years ago that the full corpus of her work really came out and was published in English. So... She is um, a much more, or rather, a much less well-known individual. She's not somebody who has bequeathed a whole massive tradition behind her. And in that sense, she's a very interesting and useful person to look at. Because she's not written something to structure anything. She's not written um, a body of literature on which we can hang our hat and say, this is how you do it. What she's left us is the story of a soul. And it's a very beautiful story. Uh, she was born in about 1914. And she was of Jewish descent, Dutch. But she lived in a family which had no involvement at all with the religious life. She had a very chaotic background her father was, um, I think, Jew, uh, German-Jewish. I think he was, he was called Louis. And her mother, no, Dutch-Jewish, she was born in Deventer. Her mother was Russian-Jewish. And the two of them were very different. Her father was very intellectual and very introverted. And her mother was quite dramatic and chaotic. And she wrote about this incredibly chaotic life that she had at home in Deventer as she was growing up. She was a young woman of her time. She was intellectually quite precocious and adventurous. Um, she did not live according to her time in, in terms of sexual mores. She was much more likely to share herself sexually with people than was possibly the norm in lots of ordinary European towns at that point. She was open, she was inquiring, she was not anti-religious, but she wasn't inspired 
by religious, a religious context, even though she knew she came out of a Jewish heritage. And short, the shortcut of her life is that she woke up spiritually. I'll say a bit more in a minute. She woke up spiritually and she ended up dying in Auschwitz. So she died very young. She lived from 1914 to 1943. And the last word anybody heard from her was as she left on the train. By which point she'd gone through the most incredible transformation and awakening. Now, you can't really say she is a great figure of Christian spirituality in one way, but you can in another. Because of the influences that inspired her, she woke up to Matthew's Gospel and to the work of St. Augustine. And yet, all of this awakening happened through one of the most bizarre and unconventional and possibly unhealthy relationships you could imagine. She entered therapy when she was a young woman, and she went into therapy with a rather strange man called Julius Speer, who had trained with Carl Jung himself. And um, in some of the more unusual Jungian practices, um, he was a palm reader. I didn't know that was a Jungian thing, but he trained with Carl Jung. And um, that was one of the skills he used. And Etty Hillison started to write a journal of her life and her awakening. And lots of this was through Julius Speer. And you read all sorts of bizarre things like they used to have wrestling sessions, as you do, um, in therapy. It was very, very strange. Um, and he was a strange man. They became lovers. Um, so as you can tell, it's really, really, really quite unconventional therapeutically. But he woke her up to Augustine, to Matthew's Gospel. And suddenly, this thing started to happen to her. She wrote about herself as somebody who refused to pray. She couldn't pray. By the end of her life, I find her very emotional, Etty. <laughs> By the end of her life, she was forced onto her knees in prayer. So she's very unusual. And what you, so what you get with her is not some post hoc rationalisation of this is how you do it. This is a woman whose life is changing as she writes. And you see this wakening up to God's presence, even at the most difficult and terrible and terrifying and painful times of life. Because all this happened against the backdrop of uh, Nazi-occupied Holland. She saw friends and relatives dying, being taken away to the camps. She herself worked in Westerbork, which was uh, a refugee camp initially, and then became uh, a camp in which people were taken away to Auschwitz. And she ended up being taken away herself. So she lived in the worst of the worst of the worst. And when you think about people and movements of spirituality, which, as I, I was saying earlier, they don't just drop ex nihilo from the sky and suddenly we have this great theory of how to do things, spirituality, how we respond to God in our world, often evolves out of circumstance, out of situation, out of what's going on around us. And in her case, it evolved in the midst of the most devastating of experiences that you could 
ever imagine. So you get these extraordinary diary entries, and in a way they kick off fairly early on. There was a diary entry from March 1941, and she was sitting on a bin uh, outside the house, sitting on a dustbin, and it was quite warm and sunshiny. This one's not in this bit. And she was sitting there, and she suddenly stops. And having been used to, she was a great intellect, having been used to ferret out meaning and understand things, she suddenly let it happen to her. It was a moment of surrender. And it was a surrender which was so complete that her life changed from that point onwards. I'm not going to pretend that she suddenly became this paragon of, of Christian virtue, but her life changed, and the way in which she responded to God and the world and to others changed. She did not hate the enemy. She wrote about her understanding of what was going on. There are some great moments in her writing. She's, there's, um, one of her, the books about her is called An Interrupted Life, because her life was interrupted. So that's a great book of hers. There are books of her letters and her diaries, all worth reading. She left her diary when she was taken off to Auschwitz and said, just take this somebody, you might be able to do something with it. Some letters arrived from when she was in the camps, again they were held on to. And you get extraordinary things like she's standing in the corner of a concentration camp, grateful for her life. There's something I find, I find her beyond words because she is so real and so raw and what you get is so utterly alive to God and you think, how? She's a bigger person than I could ever be. I'm just going to take a moment. Sorry, you're going to ask a question. Yes, yes. Acceptance. And the comment over here was, she didn't expect to be saved. She didn't expect that. She surrendered to what was going on. And there is something about her where I think she embodies a kind of really radical grace, which is beyond what most of us experience in, in a way. I mean, I don't speak for everybody. There could, this could be a room full of people who can do that much better than me. But there is a radical grace about her. She says people in her life are saying to her, you're too valuable to go to the camps. You have a brain. You know how to do things. You're, you're brilliant get yourself away from it. And her response to that is, why? Why should I? Why should I not expect exactly what's happening to other people? Could I really do that with any sense of honour? Actually, what will be, will be. And over the time that she went through this transformation, she went beyond... I mean, she was terrified. Everybody was terrified. But she started to get this different vision not of my life now, oh goodness me, what's going to happen, but almost a historic perspective. This is what is happening. We live it, we bear witness to it, and my job is to be what I can to other people in it. And if I think that I can get myself out of it, then I'm wrong. I choose not to. Which is, in the end, how she ended up being taken to Auschwitz and dying there. So she was a truly remarkable person, whilst at the same time being fragile, quite messed up.
by her own background and working her way through this over and over again, responding to, to God in her world, responding to the Gospels. Um, her big hero, literary hero, was Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke, who of course was a great person for living the questions. She did not try to find solutions or imagine that as a person of intellect and ability she should be saved. So there is something about her which is utterly transformational because she lived the love of God and it was so great for her that she did not believe she had a right to a life more than anybody else. She is really worth reading and sometimes you'll want to throw the book at the wall and think, what were you doing? And sometimes you'll want to weep and think, this is the most extraordinary lived example of Christian love and spirituality. Even though she might not have placed herself in a particular way, she was always being inspired. And there was um, some words from Matthew, uh, which she particularly liked. Let me see if I can find that bit. Oh, actually, I'll read you this bit. This is from July 1942. They keep telling me that someone like me has a duty to go into hiding because I have so many things to do in life, so much to give. But I know that whatever I have to give to others, I can give it no matter where I am, here in the circle of my friends or over there in a concentration camp. And it is sheer arrogance to think of oneself too good to share the fate of the masses. And if God himself should feel that I still have a great deal to do, well then, I shall do it after I have suffered what all the others have to suffer. And whether or not I am a valuable human being will only become clear from my behaviour in the more arduous circumstances. And if I should not survive, how I die will surely show me who I really am. September 1942, my latest treasure the birds of the heavens and the lilies of the field in Matthew. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Last night, a Jew was shot in Van Baalstraat, just behind the corner from here while trying to escape. Many people are being killed this very moment all over the world while I sit here writing. My left hand rests on a small Bible. So her whole journey that she's left for us, which is a journey of awakening and transformation and surrender, is in this most extreme of situations. And this is somebody who had no religious background. She had, she had no real sense of God in her life until, the way I would see it, God broke through. In amidst everything, God broke through and started to work within her. And you get this soul evolving. Then the letter from Westerbork, transit camp, the bottom of page four. You have made me so rich, O God, my life has become an uninterrupted dialogue with you. O God, one great dialogue. Sometimes when I, oh, this is amazing. Sometimes when I stand in the corner of the camp, my feet planted on your earth, my eyes raised towards your heaven. You can read the rest of it. Things come and go in a deeper rhythm, and people must be taught to listen. It is the most important thing we have to learn in this life. I'm not challenging you, O oh God. My life is one great dialogue with you. I may never become the great artist I would really like to be, but I'm already secure in you. 
Oh dear. <laughs> so she is an extraordinary figure who led a very extraordinary life. But she was an ordinary person. And there's also a bit of me that wants to say, none of us, none of us actually knows what would happen unless we're faced with the extremes. And none of us knows how God will meet us when we are faced in the extremes. But in the middle of all the rules, rules of life, and all the imaginative exercises, and so on and so forth, what she does share is the possibility, and I think the, the confidence, if you like, that it's through surrender to the love of God that we are transformed. However we want to talk about Christian spirituality, it's that surrender to God that transforms us. And in her case, this led to the end of her life. She wasn't to know what was going to happen. She wasn't going to know that there'd be people sitting in London 80 years after she died. 80? About that talking about her and she probably would have been quite gratified actually because I think there was a bit of her that wanted that to happen but that was not the whole story so here she was this person from no religion who left us and as I put here because we don't have exercises from her we don't have methods what I put down is she left us surrender she left us imagination the imagination to understand that her life wasn't the only show in town. She left us transformation. And I think one of the most powerful dispositions of the Christian spiritual life, gratitude. Gratitude, which is one of the hallmarks of some of Ignatian spirituality too. The examine prayer is rooted in gratitude. But I think if there is one disposition which is heavily underused, it's gratitude. And this was a woman whose awakening to God let her be grateful for her life, even though she knew it was probably going to end in the most ghastly of circumstances. If you get the chance to read her, do. We don't often get the opportunity to read struggle in its rawness, as it's happening, and it's a gift.